Well, guess what? We are in chapter 4 of Ephesians. How about that? And we will begin today as I always do when I go to a different section. Uh, this will sort of be a, a framework which you will see uh, these first six verses unfold before you. If you would please follow up the reading of the Word of God. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all in all. Father, I come before you overwhelmed at what you've just shown me. Father, I pray that my brothers and sisters will drink deeply of this, will feast upon your word. And that, Father, that they will understand who they are and why they are. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. We just finished up chapters 3, 14 to 21. 16 to 21 is actually the prayer, but it begins in 14. He tells us that he's praying because he's just given you three chapters of amazing theology, overwhelming theology. It is the position and the privilege that every believer is in. Okay, I don't care if you are an infant in Christ. I don't care if you've been walking with him for generations. You need to understand that those privileges are every person who is in Christ. If you are saved, he basically goes through a litany of information dealing with the privilege of being a Christian, with the rights that a Christian has, even the honor that a Christian has. But there's a catch. It's in the body of Christ. It is in the church. Uh, many of you know that I have traveled and, and I have been in many churches around the world and in some bad neighborhoods. And one of the things that always I am in awe of is the preeminence of the church in the people's lives. But then I start realizing we've missed it. And the reason is we have other things to distract us. They realize that I can either hang out with lost people or I can hang out with saved people. Okay. And those are the only two choices. You, there is no Switzerland. Okay? That's what you've got. So for them, when they look at it, they look at the church as the center of their universe. 
And they will tell you when they come to church, if they came here today, this is not the church. This is a house of prayer. You and I are the church. We are in the body of Christ. I look at this and I think about it as a lowly walk for a high position. Okay? You're not going to believe this. You would have never guessed this. It's going to take me some time to get through these six verses. Okay, because I know you guys are shocked. Thought I would cover it all today. I look at our society today, many societies, and I see clubs, I see groups, I see organizations uh, for anything and everything. Okay, they're, they're, they've got something for somebody everywhere. And when you get into that club, when you get into that group, guess what? They have a set of things that you have to do because you are in it. I'll give you a big fat one. If you are an American citizen, you are bound by the Constitution. Okay, they've, if you get online, if you just want some giggles for yourself... Oh, it may hurt your feelings. They've got citizenship tests that an immigrant would take to become an American citizen. And it's amazing because I watch the American citizens and they think that's the greatest thing that's ever happened to them. It's just amazing to, to watch the enthusiasm, the thrill that they have because they are now Americans. But they have to take these tests. You get online, you can find some of these tests. Uh, They're fun to take. I look back, I had a government teacher. When I was in high school for your senior year, you had to take a government class. You had to pass that class or you didn't get out. Okay, so, and the government teacher that I had, his name was Racy. Okay, and at the time, because you have to write a term paper in the nine months you were in school on the topic he chose for you. And it had to do something boring about government. Uh, I'll be honest with you, I can't remember what my topic was. I did pass. But I remember sitting and looking at his desk, okay? And, and this guy uh, got his PhD in political science from Ohio State University. He had a picture on one side of his desk, him standing next to Winston Churchill. And you're like, wow. Okay, on the other side of the desk, he had him standing next to Adolf Hitler. And you're sitting there going, well, okay. He's kind of been exposed to a couple of things, eh? Okay, but when you're 18 years old and you have to sit and listen to him, because he would sit on the edge of it, he was about a million years old, and he'd sit on the edge of his desk with just one leg, with his legs crossed, and just one cheek of his rear end was on that desk, and he kept thinking, any second, the old goat's going to fall off of there. And that was the extent of my deep studies of Mr. Racy. But I praise him for what he showed me. Okay? It wasn't until I became older and started realizing more of what's going on, the three branches of government, what they're supposed to do, what they can't do, what they don't even listen to. And then I realized that when my son enlisted, he took the same oath that all the congressmen did. And to be an American, you have to uphold the Constitution. 
I know that in some employers, they have rules and regulations and doctrines uh, or teachings and purposes of how you are to conduct yourself when you're on company time. You know, in Colorado now, it's legal to smoke pot. Uh, there are some employers who are still doing drug tests. You get caught, guess what? You find another job. Okay, so you, you know, I understand that, but the employers kind of have set a standard. If you're going to work here, this is how you're going to operate. You have to conform to those standards. Uh, I have had dealings in my past with uh, uh, what you, some of you would know as motorcycle gangs. They don't go by that anymore. That's politically incorrect. So they are now motorcycle clubs. I remember sitting and talking to the president of the Hells Angels, and he was explaining to me that he was a nonprofit organization for charitable work. And I'm sitting there going, huh, okay, there you go. But there are things that you have to do to move up and to be accepted in different things. And, you know, I've, I, I've heard some of the stuff that they've got to do to conform, to be allowed. And you're sitting there going, man, you're nuts. So uh, there are the Elks Clubs, there are Moose Clubs, probably even Goat Clubs. There are some religious orders that you must pledge a loyalty to. You adhere to them, you uphold them. They set the standard, you conform to the standard to be in the given club, whatever, or group, or employer. Okay, let me tell you something. That is human society. That is human society. If you decide not to conform to their standards, you'll lose your place. If you do not conform to the standard, put this to any group you want to put it to. Okay? You become a hindrance to that group. Our society has standards that we are to conform to. Okay? If you don't conform and you become a hindrance, we have these things called jails and prisons. Alright? If you become a hindrance, we have a place for you. I remember talking to a pastor and he said, well, you know, there's a big difference between jails and, and prisons. I said, is there? And he tried to explain to me, what he understood about jails and prisons. So I asked him one stupid question. I said, have you been in either one? Oh, no, not me. I was like, there is no difference. Just telling you. I don't care what you call it. Societies, or even segments of our societies, we have conformity and we want cooperation in that conformity. You've heard the statement, you're either part of the problem or part of the solution. And times, it's uh, truly amazing to me on how these people conform. I have had dealings with numerous motorcycle clubs and... <sighs> They all have 
these rituals and whatever you want to call them, hazings, whatever you want to call them, that you have to adhere to. Uh, I know the Sons of Silence, you go through an apprenticeship for a year. And they rule your life for a year. And uh, I mean, it's you sit there and go, well, okay, when will you get done? What do you get? <laughs> what time is there a bonus prize or what do we get out of here? Pot of gold, something? But these are the organizations of man. And you stay in the conformity. You adhere to their rules and their regulations. And you move up the ladder. And as you move up the ladder, it demands more and more loyalty. It is part of what human society is. If you're really honest with yourself, it is the core basis of the heart of man. Man and his heart... We want to belong. When we belong, it gives us acceptance. We feel pretty good. But I want to give you a note. It can trap people. And it can trap people sometimes in a bad way. All right? So let me give you an illustration. All right. This is the norm for humanity. We have all kinds of things that we want to quote unquote identify with. The gospel of John chapter nine. Jesus passed by. He saw a blind man from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi. Who sinned this man or his parents? That he would be born blind. Okay, now I know historically that there was a lot of venereal diseases at the time of Christ. All right. And it was not uncommon that some mothers would give birth and depending on the disease they had, leaving the birth canal, that disease would blind the child. And the child would never get its eyesight back. Alright, so his disciples see this blind child, blind from birth, okay, and they said, was it the parents who sinned, or was it the child who sinned? Jesus answered, it was neither, that this man sinned, nor his parents. But it was so, listen well, that the works of God might be displayed in him, we must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Stop right there. Okay? Kid Burt, he's an older man now. That doesn't give us his age, but he's of the age to account. Okay? Blind from birth. Jesus said the reason he was blind was why? So God would be glorified. Okay? It goes on. I'm not going to deal with it in its completeness. Anyway, he healed the man. He did it for the glory of the one who sent him, his heavenly father. This is the one where he took a little mud He spit in it, 
put it on his eyes, told him to go down to the pool of Shalom. Okay, and wash it off. When he washed it off, guess what? He could see. He could see. All right? Now, I don't know about you. If I had a child who was born blind, and all of a sudden, out of the clear blue, this guy comes along, and now my kid can see, I'm, I, I, hmm, I don't know, man. That, to me, that's, hmm, hmm. Hmm, who, who is this guy? Okay. But here's what's a little funny about this text. Upon doing this, then unbelief decides that it will investigate it. Unbelief investigates a miracle. You know what? You know when unbelief investigates a miracle that it will always get the right results, right? But you also have to understand that the people who were investigating were antagonistic to Jesus. So if you drop down a little bit. Verse 20, the religious elite questioned his parents. And they answered them and said... We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But now he sees. We do not know or who opened his eyes. We do not know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. Okay. Yeah, that's our kid. And yep, he can see. And I have no idea how it's come. All right. Look at verse 22. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be the Christ, they would be put out of the synagogue. For this reason, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. Don't you find that astonishing? They know who did it. Something like that isn't one of those. What was that? They knew what was going on. But they wouldn't acknowledge anything on how he was healed. All they could say is he was healed. They would not give credit to Jesus Christ. They would not give the glory to God. I don't want to be involved with this. I don't want this to happen. Why? They feared who? The Jews. Okay, now I shared this morning in Sunday school. The Jews were Israelites and or proselytes that practiced Judaism, the tenets of Judaism. So when you see Jews, understand he's talking about the religious people. Okay? And the Jews had already decided that if anyone confessed Jesus as the Messiah, the Christ, that person would be put out of the synagogue. You know what that means? You ain't allowed to go to synagogue. Now, to 
an Israelite, that is the center of your income. That is the center of how you buy, sell, and trade. It's through the You may not be a practicing Jew, but you could go to synagogue and you could do your quote-unquote business dealings. You could run into all the little businessmen that have a business card with a star David on it. If you got kicked out of the synagogue, you know what you lost? Everything. Everything. So they feared the Jews. All right. That was the restriction of wanting to be accepted in Jewish society. This is important. They would not confess that the sight of their own son had come at the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ because they feared losing their social status. I don't know about you. That seems to be a burden. At least a set of chains. They wouldn't confess the reality of the miracle of their own blind son because they feared being kicked out of the synagogue. Okay, I only got one question to ask you. What mattered most to them? Pretty interesting thought, isn't it? Did truth matter or belonging to the group? Belonging to the society that was their identity. See, people can uh, identify with things that become binding to them. This is what they say I can and I cannot do. It's not my decision. This is what they say. The problem is that too many, even today, become blind to it. Okay? What I mean by that is we will put, we do this in the church where we put certain systems and methods and what we will call sacraments and we will place them in front of the Word of God. Okay? And sometimes it drives me nuts because you're missing the point. It isn't the building, it is Christ. It isn't my fellowship, it is Christ. It isn't what I say or I don't say. It is Christ. What happens is I see people who seen the reality that they should know and yet they hold to the sign. These parents should have thought, who do you want to identify with? 
This guy who just gave sight to my blind child? Or these religious elite? Let me give you another one. It's one that's perplexed me for, uh, for some time. It's kind of amazing, actually. Again, in the Gospel of uh, John, chapter 12, start at verse 41. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Well, what did he say? He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted and healed for them. That's Isaiah chapter 6, verse 10. Okay. And these things Isaiah said because he saw his glory. Now he's speaking of Jesus. Look at verse 42. Nevertheless, many, even of the rulers, believed in him. Okay, you know who the rulers are? That's the Pharisees. The religious elite, they're the rulers. It was theoretically a theocracy that was dominated by the Roman Empire because the Roman Empire had conquered him. But the ruler of the people were the religious elite. They're the ones who picked the rabbis. They're the ones who picked the high priest yearly. They're the ones who made the offering for the high holy holidays. Those guys. Did you see what it said? Look what it says. The rulers believed in him. Many of the rulers believed in him. But is the next word. Because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. Because of their fear of the Pharisee, there was no confession. Because they didn't want to be put out of the club. They didn't want to be put out of the group. Look at verse 43. For they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. Did you get that? They wanted the human accolades. They, and many today, have made such a firm commitment to the society that they have chosen and not the creator of existence. Please understand these people that I'm talking about here. These ain't the bar brawlers. These ain't the men running around in houses of ill repute. These are the churched people, to use today's vernacular. Them people. They were more concerned of getting the attaboys of men than what was God saying. There was no way that they were going 
to restrict the function that they wanted in that group. That group said, this is what we are going to do. Do not be a hindrance to what we're going to do. In this case, that word but damned their own souls to adhere to the synagogue. So, when the Apostle Paul shared at the synagogue in Thessalonica and two rabbis were saved, do you realize the controversy that was there? They were kicked out of the synagogue. And then they just run Paul out of town. That's man's willingness to conform to the standard of the group. It's where we gather our identity. You see, I see it in churches today, all over the place. All over the place. I, I know some churches that women are not allowed to wear, uh, what do they call it, pants. They have to wear skirts. And it has to be halfway down their shin. Well, guess what? You're out of here. We'll throw you out. And I don't know where that's at in the Bible, but I know that there's enough people afraid of it that, by golly, they do it. My question, I guess, and what Paul is dealing with in the letter to the Ephesians is, where we gather our identity. I just spent some time in the first three chapters of Ephesians showing you each what your identity is in Christ. You know what? And there ain't a person in this room where they've not had a time where and when they wanted to belong to something. I want to be a part of it. Okay? Mankind's drive to belong, mankind's drive to be a part of something, if you think about it, in all honesty, is truly amazing. It's a... People get their identity from Cub Scouts, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts. I mean, they even do it with Awanas. I mean, that's that's my identity. Uh, I know one of the guys who founded Iwanis. He left it because it became an entity unto its own and they were missing the point of Christ. Because it's rewards. You get new buttons and merit badges. That's all they look like to me. I seen it years ago with precept ministries. You've got to do this way. Well, I learned inductive study in junior high school. And now they're just like, wow, look. And I was like, what? Well, this is how you do it. Who, what, when, where, how, and why. Well, I was like, Mrs. DiMatteo taught me that. And she was creepy. People will get locked into these things. And they'll do anything they have to to conform. 
They want to abide by the set of principles so they can belong. They want that acceptance. Then you translate that into the church. And guess what? Something goes wrong. People come. People come to church. Most want the right of being a Christian. Most want the privilege of being a Christian. I want the honors of being a Christian. I want to hang with them people there. Them there's Christians. But in this country, so many want these rights, they want these privileges, they want these honors, and yet they never make the commitment to conform to the standard. I showed you how to get to the standard. That's what we looked at in Paul's prayer. But let me ask you a question. How committed are you to it? Are you willing to get up every morning and take 14 to 21 and pray it for yourself and then pray it for everybody that you know that's a believer? The body of Christ doesn't seem to be nearly as binding because, well, 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 it's grace. We've got, we've got grace. I go to church when it's convenient. If it ain't too hot, if it ain't too cold, Oh, I didn't get enough done Saturday. I'll have to do it on Sunday. And now I I struggle with this a lot because I deal with it daily. People don't understand. I deal with this daily. People who have no commitment. I was talking to a, a, a guy just... I don't remember when last time I saw him. Anyway, and and he, he's mad at me because I wouldn't give him any money. He says, "Well, you, as a religious leader, of course, that's you know you're in trouble when they call you a religious leader. You, as a religious leader, need to figure out who's pulling your strings." And I smiled at him my great effervescent bubbly smile. And I said, I only have one person who pulls my strings. And guess what? You don't know him. Okay. I think that for one thing, we're many generations out of the church being a place of theology. Okay, I I would I would estimate it started happening in the late sixties, nineteen sixties. You see the move to methodology. And after that time you see a great outburst of what I, what we you and I would call topical preaching. Just take a topic and preach on it. And what I found out about that, that's scary because the guy will come up with an idea and then he decides to go find Bible verses that validate his, the idea. 
Okay, well, I can teach you from the Bible that you should go hang yourself. Okay, and I can give you biblical verses for it. All right? That ain't the way that book works. You and your brilliance go find some things to butcher to bring it in to show you're brilliant. So once you moved away from that, then you started moving into opinion. Once that happened, there's no theology. You start dealing with man's opinion. You start asking lost people, what do they want from church? I remember years ago when we were downtown, I got a flyer. Uh, that guy was sent to everybody, every household in Castle Rock. Now, it wasn't as big as it was now, but in every household, what is it that you would want from a church? Okay, now, I don't know about you. That seems borderline suicidal to me. Because I'm pretty convinced that lost people don't know what a church is supposed to do anyway. But another thing that I believe that is happening, maybe, is because all of the world's things, clubs, organizations, whatever you want to call them, Satan is in there holding it together. Making it comfortable. Making it rewarding. But in the church, he is in there trying to rip it apart. You know, it's amazing in the years that I have been in leadership, how many people were mad at me and they left without ever confronting me. And it's amazing some of the things that I'm supposed to believe. Because they'll run around and tell all their friends, well, Terry believes this or Terry believes that. And I'm sitting there going, what? (laughs) Where did that come from? But what I've learned is if the person won't come and look me in the eye with their problem, there's the door. And I'm not saying that to be rude or anything. But what I am saying is you're a hindrance. And until God gets your undivided attention, you're just going to be a hindrance. That is the fight that we have. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And there ain't a person in this room that is spared of that. Or it doesn't come back. And yet when we drop Jesus Christ, then what do we got? Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That alone, that spiritual conflict makes it hard for an individual to stand, to commit. It's difficult to stick with it. Think about the thing. I, I was thinking about this years ago when I lived in Ohio. Cleveland used to have some of the best rock concerts in that area. And so we would travel up to Cleveland on a regular basis to see concerts. I wasn't saved then. Don't sweat it. And I can't remember which side. There's a river that cuts Cleveland in half. And one side was Jewish. Okay? 
And it was strange. I remember the first time that I went there, we were going to a Saturday evening concert. Okay. And we came into the, that area. And I don't, I, I can't, again, I don't remember if it's the east side or the west side. Everything was closed. I mean, it was buttoned up tighter than a drum. There was no convenience store. You couldn't get gas. You couldn't do nothing. You cross the bridge, it's just like being in America. But, <laughs> because we used to make fun. Just make sure you get your gas before you get into the Jewish sector. And that was our joke. But it, on that Sabbath, from sunset Friday to sunset Saturday, forget it. I mean, you couldn't get nothing. But they were committed. That's what their leaders had told them that they are to do. I watch people today. Why are we afraid if the boss says, I have to work on Sunday, you say, I can't come in until after church? Why are we afraid to say that? You know what? Jews ain't. They're not. They ain't afraid. Okay? I remember pages in the hospital systems, and on Christmas, the Jews all volunteered to work. We'll pull your shift for you. So you can go do your thing with Santa Claus. Okay? I think we ought to get into the seven-day thing like Hanukkah. But anyway, <laughs> let's just get into gift-giving. Seven days. But we have a spiritual battle that... One is our lack of understanding of who God is. Two, what is our position in the body of Christ? Three, what is the privilege of being in the body of Christ? And four, we have an adversary who is the destroyer. And he is the father of fibs. No, he's the father of lies. Okay? Listen. Do you understand that the standard... Now, I don't know if they still do that in Cleveland or not. This would have been the 70s. But the standard isn't any different for the church than it is for Judaism. But we in the church have missed that. We don't understand it. We go to church when it's convenient. Every once in a while, I don't feel very good, but I'll go anyway. Why? When you come to Christ, you enter His body. You receive His salvation. And it's given to each all of the rights, all of the honors, all of the privileges that come with being a Christian. Go, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies? Can anybody notice that in us? But, He wants us to conform to His standard. Conform to the image of His Son in Romans 8. That's why you were saved. Okay, I just went through 
five steps on how you can accomplish that. So all of you are now guilty of knowing that information. In the New Testament. The New Testament, the actual word is the new covenant. The Old Testament is what? The Old Covenant. How were you saved in either? By faith. Okay? But the New Covenant is different. It is in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? And He made it so wonderful that He incarnates His body in the people who enter into the New Covenant. And we collectively come together as the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we are that entity, then we have all the rights, all the privileges, all of the honors of being what? Heirs, joint heirs with Christ. Now, everybody here says, yeah, that's cool. I'm in. But there's a part in here that nobody ever seems to pay attention to. Because this new covenant that he speaks of, it says that if anybody does not conform, what are you supposed to do? Put them out. Whoa. But I thought, it's not what it says. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. If a person isn't living in an immoral manner, what are you supposed to do? Put them out so Satan will teach their flesh a lesson. 2 Thessalonians. If you have someone who is walking disorderly and they don't respond to you trying to get them orderly, what are you supposed to do? Put them out. Paul told Timothy, if there is someone who is teaching that which is not consistent with truth, what are you supposed to do? Put them out. God has it that way in His church. One of the things I think that we get wrong is we think it's our church. But it's His church. If you're not going to follow what the church is doing, you know what? You're better off out. Now, let me give you a little footnote on this. God sometime, I've had to deal with this too many times. Putting them out. Okay? God sometimes does this on His own. Okay? Remember in Corinthians? Some of you are weak. Some of you are sick. Some of you are dead. Why? God put them out. The lady's going to look in this next 30 days. 1 John 5. There is a sin which leads to death. Who's in control of life and death? God. So there are times when the Lord himself, for the sake of the body, will set them out. The ladies are getting ready to go through the seven churches of Asia Minor on how do we reform the church. 
I've read several different wonderful writers on that text. And I, I, there was a guy, Dick Mayhew, he was provost marshal of the Master Seminary. And he wrote one on what would Jesus say of your church? And he went through the seven churches of Asia Minor. He went through Philippians and Thessalonica. And I mean, that's, that's a humbling book. That's a humbling book. Okay. There are times when God says enough is enough and you die. Okay. Now listen, I want you to get this. You're not losing your salvation. Okay, you're being put out of the church fellowship. You lose your privilege. See, God doesn't like those in the fellowship that do more damage in the body than help in the body. Some of you guys can remember some people who have been through here that just were a a pain in the rear end. Uh, they wanted to argue about something. They were always stirring something up. They were always kicking up. And I'm petty stuff. Okay. I know a guy who started with a Bible stuff in Hamilton, Montana. He started with a Bible study in his house. Okay. For families. It turned into a 3,000 member church. Okay. Now it took a little time. He didn't do it like, and then next Sunday we go. Okay. And they, Bought property and built a building and all the rest of it. A guy, a, a strong, strong expositor. He decided instead of passing the plates, okay, he would put offering boxes in the back. You go out any given door, there would be a box there, and you could push, put your offering in there. You know, within 30 days, they fired him. Because he changed the way they took up the offering. Now, he's got a thriving ministry down in Texas. But then there's a, but it's in Texas. Okay. But, but you see what I'm trying to get at? That's what happens. Who are you looking to? There are those that the Lord will set outside of the fellowship. If society demands conformity and people are so fearful of being, to use, John's gospel illustration, unsynagogued, that they would even damn their own souls, blind themselves to the reality of the Son of God? Really? Yeah. Let me ask you a question. You look around here where we're at, you get kicked out of the church, so what? Think about it. You think about the people that you know who are very unfaithful to the fellowship of the saints and it doesn't bother them. And yet, for a Christian, being outside of the fellowship of the saints is punishment. Is there something wrong with that picture or am I missing something? That's amazing to me. Before I became a leader in this church, I was here when the doors were open. Why? I knew what my alternative was. I didn't care when it was. It could be men pancake breakfast. I'm in. I hate pancakes. 
I don't like pancakes. I grew up on pancakes. I ate them every morning all summer long. Ugh. Well, you just think certain things wear you out. I had that thing with beets. I don't do beets. I don't even like the smell of beets. I can tell. I can stand the smell of pancakes, but I can't. But I'd go. I go to men's. Back, I'm, I'm in Sunday school. I had a couple of teachers there that just bore you to tears, but they were teaching the Bible. I remember it because I knew what the alternative was. And that's before I ever knew that, it, well, if the guy refuses to repent, boot him out. Listen, if people can make that kind of a, a commitment to things that don't matter, that's willing to damn their souls, why can't we make a commitment to the things that do matter, that save souls? Christians, can we make a commitment to walk in the way God has asked us to? How about in the framework of His beloved church? Can we commit to that? Because, brothers and sisters, that's what the last three chapters are. That may be a world record introduction, huh? That's what this is. We've had three chapters of our rights, our privileges, and the honor of being in the body of Christ. Christ in us, the hope of glory. We've got to look at that. The indwelling spirit strengthening us. Jesus Christ at ease in our lives. Knowing a miraculous love that the world can't even get a handle on. And the fullness of God filling us. And we operate in infinite power. That is every child of God. We've been given that. Now. Here are the requirements. Beginning in chapter 4. The heart of this text that you see in verse 1. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And we'll pick that up next week. That's what we're going to be looking at over the next 22 years. Is the framework of what is a worthy walk. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Father, I overwhelmed by how detailed, how passionate you are, how planning. Father, I ask you to help us. Help us to be as the deer at the brook, thirsting for water. Father, may we thirst. And drink deeply. Father, as Jeremiah said, he found your word and he feasted on it. Help each of us to do that. Help us to be overwhelmed with the privilege of being in the body of Christ. With the privilege of understanding the miraculous love of Jesus Christ. The unity of the saints, the unity of the spirit, and the unity of Christ in each of our lives. Father, help each of us to come alongside 
each and every one of us, and to strengthen each other for the ministry at hand. Father, even at times, lean on each other. And Father, if need be, come up underneath a very heavy load and lift it. Jesus, this is your will. Help us to walk worthy. In Christ's name, amen.